Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. <coughs> Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the, the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me, uh, filled the bowl with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. Greece did, I think, in the sense that it was used in the New Testament, the gospel for the Jews, first and also to the Greeks. The Greeks being typical of the whole, uh, uh, whole non-Jewish world beyond. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with firewinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine, and they shall be filled like bowls, and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty! Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. And then in Matthew 21, reading a few verses from the beginning of that chapter. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, I suppose is the pronunciation, <clears throat> and to the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a coat with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord has need of them, and straightway he will send them. So that means to me is that the message, of course, was beside Bethany, uh, and um, that area, our Lord knew very well indeed, and his close friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, lived there. And it sounds to me as if these disciples uh, were people that he knew, and who, as soon as they heard the Lord and of them, would, would uh, uh, willingly send the, the animals. I don't think it was just a display of sovereignty. He could have done that if he wished, but I think it was more than that. I think that he had a good strength of discipleship in the best place in the area. And the disciples went, verse 6, and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the coat, and put on them their clothes, and they set them thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and straw them in the way. And the multitudes that went before, and that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold, and bought in the temple, 
and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what we say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have we never read? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. May the Lord bless us uh, <coughs> these readings from his word. Let us sing now in Psalm number 22, and from verse 26 to the end of the psalm. Psalm 22, verse 26 to the end, and the tune is Pretorius. The meek shall eat and shall be filled, they also pray shall give unto the Lord that do them seek, your heart shall ever live, all ends of the earth remember shall, and turn the Lord unto all kindreds of the nations, to him shall homage do, because the kingdom to the Lord that appertaineth is, likewise among the nations, the governor, he is. Uh, that's from uh, Psalm 32, 26 to the end, to God's praise, and the tune, victorious.
Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 9, and read again verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9, where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, as we saw in reading Matthew uh, 21, or part of 21, this prophecy concerning the Messiah uh, was fulfilled in our Lord's riding in uh, triumph into Jerusalem on a young ass five days before his death. We could perhaps make a note uh, in the passing that not insignificantly the Passover fell on the 14th day of the month <coughs> and the day of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem was the 10th day of the month and on that particular day according to Jewish law the Passover lamb which was to be slain uh, and its blood sprinkled on the 14th day was taken and set aside uh, quite ceremonially for the Passover feast so that on what we see happening, the symbol being fulfilled in the reality, is that on that very day, the, the, the tenth day, the day that Jesus rode in an ass into Jerusalem, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our New Testament Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God, who was to be sacrificed for our sins, was publicly shown, publicly designated as the final, the last of all, Passover uh, Lamb. And so the prelude uh, to uh, the, our Lord's passion, his, his ultimate hour of suffering unto death at Calvary, was this procession uh, into Jerusalem uh, where he rode uh, on the ass's coat. Now all four Gospels, uh, some more fully than the others, record this uh, taking place of our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the singing of the multitudes uh, in Jesus' honour Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest and John's gospel adds as John often does a little explanatory comment John says as it is written uh, he means in the Old Testament uh, fear not daughter of Zion behold thy king cometh sitting on an ass's coat uh, and of course the references to the passage before us in Zechariah chapter 9. So that's what the prophet uh, Zechariah said about the coming Christ. Now let's ask the question, what did the prophet mean by what he said? Uh, this talk about uh, Christ, the king of Zion, coming on an ass's coat. The addresses to the uh, daughter of Zion, the daughter of Jerusalem, this means that the prophet Zechariah in God's name is inviting his people to welcome with praise and rejoicing the coming of the Messiah. Now in, in the Bible we find Zion originally referred to the citadel uh, at Jerusalem or, or maybe the hill on which the citadel stood, on which the earliest city of David stood. <coughs> but in Hebrew song and poetry uh, it, the, the word Zion came to refer 
to the city itself and even to the people, uh, the people uh, of God. And, and here you've got a collective noun, the daughter of Zion, referring to the people of Jerusalem as a whole. So the address is to the, the people of Jerusalem as a whole, that the king is coming, that he is just, that he has salvation, that he's lowly, that he's going to ride upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Thy king cometh unto thee. That's an interesting expression. Thy king, it's as if, <coughs> it's as if the Jews have never had a king before. But it's not unlike, <coughs> uh, for example, <coughs> what Isaiah says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. Again, you see, it's as if God had never had any servant in, in Israel before. What it means is that this is the, the, the servant or the king that surpasses all servants and kings. It's the king who will surpass all others in dignity and service. Now, the kings of the David's line, very specially, they were, <coughs> they were uh, symbolic, they were, they were, they were prophetic of, of Christ and they prepared the way for Christ who was the, to be born of the royal house of David. In Isaiah 9 and 7 we read, he, he, he shall sit on the throne of David forever. You remember the words of the, the angel to Mary in Luke 1, 32-33, telling what the, her, her son was going to be like. Well, he, he said the angel, he shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. There's that kingly notion again. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. All that was said about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the, the Jews were far from objecting to uh, the Messiah being represented as a king. And the truth is that they, they, they gloried in the kingly qualities of the predicted Messiah. Because in, in a king with the uh, political uh, power, they saw the hope of their political deliverance from Rome or any other uh, secular nation that would threaten their peace. <coughs> But you see, they weren't prepared for a lowly king, or one whose kingdom was not of this world. It's very interesting that in that chapter in Matthew 21, Jesus came into the city. Now, what was the first thing he did? He went in and flung the money changers out of the, the temple. His kingdom was not of this world. And they, were, they had turned God's house into a den of robbers. They, I mean, they were, they were, not only were they money changers, but they were, they were looking the people. They were, they, were, they were piling on the interest charges. It was, it was a real racket in the house of God. Uh, but, but our Lord was, was indicating that his king, he came on, a, on an ass, the, coat of a, the foal of an ass, not, not on a war horse. And one of the first things he did was, was to clear out the, the, the money changers, these crooks from the temple of God, his kingdom was not of this world. And Jews were not prepared. Uh, they, they were delighted that they were going to get a king for the Messiah, but they were not prepared for a lowly king uh, or one whose kingdom was not of this world. And of course these are our Lord's own words. Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. He reminded Peter of that. He said, if, if I wanted to, then I could send for twelve legions of angels. That's not the way my kingdom is. How shall the scripture be fulfilled that, that 
that salvation must come in this way by my surrendering myself uh, to the Jews and to the Romans. So uh, the Jews were not prepared for a kingdom, uh, the messianic kingdom, to come in terms uh, of earthly, of the heavenly uh, qualities. They were looking for something uh, that would be uh, represent military, earthly military might. Now, what we find as we go through the, the history of our Lord's sufferings and death and then his eventual exaltation is that he received the scepter in heaven. Not only was the, his kingdom not of earth in that the battles weren't to be uh, fought in earthly terms, you know, with war horses and, and, and uh, uh, military regalia and all the rest of it and military equipment, but he received the, the scepter of uh, representing his kingship in heaven. It's in heaven that we read of him being declared to be the king of kings and lord of lords. You don't hear that declaration made here on earth. Uh, he ascends up on high and, and the, the Bible writers tell us that there all things are put under his feet. Well, of course, the point is that first there must come the cross for Christ and after that the crown. Of course, Jesus by nature, in his divine nature, by virtue of his being an eternal son of God, he was the king. The king eternally mortal and invisible. And as the, 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 um, uh, the great uh, fathers of the church said in, the, in their creed, uh, he didn't cease to be what he, what he was. He couldn't cease to be the son of God. He was inherently and eternally the son of God. But they added, he became what he was not. He veiled his glory in the garments of his human nature in his state of humiliation during the days of his flesh. So yes, indeed, Christ, the, the eternal Son of God, is inherently king and king of kings. And, and more than that, Jesus was born in, his, in respect of his humanity of royal lineage. He was born of the house of David. <coughs> he, wasn't a, he wasn't a usurper to a kingly title. But strictly speaking, when you look at the, the way the Bible speaks about the Christ's uh, being given mediatorial uh, kingship or reign, strictly speaking, his mediatorial reign did not begin until having finished the work of redemption given by, him, by to him by the Father to do on earth, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and there he received the invitation, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes, thy footstool. Uh, but his kingdom uh, was not of this earth and, and that was very uh, strikingly uh, symbolized by his riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the foal of an ass. Now the prophet also says certain things <coughs> about the coming king's character and the coming king's administration. First of all, he is just. Or, or he is righteous. That's the very first thing he says. Now that was true of the, the Messiah personally, it was true of Christ personally that he was just and righteous. But it's also true of his administration. And I couldn't do better I think than refer you to Isaiah chapter 11 verses 3 to 5 where this point is brought out that the Messiah's kingdom is a righteous kingdom. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, 
and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins in that chapter in Matthew uh, Matthew 21 where we read that he cleared out the money changers uh, the people that were running that racket now they had no time for people that hadn't got the uh, pound notes that's the only people who were interested in notice in that 21st chapter as soon as the temple was purged of these people the, 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 the sick and the lame and the maimed came in it would have been no use for these people to come into a temple before they would have been sent about their business they would have said have you got a fiver if you got a fiver then we'll, we'll do something for you but if they had no money then they weren't welcome but Jesus cleared out the money changers and as soon as they were cleared we're told that the lame and the sick and others who were poor and needy came to Jesus and he healed them all that's the kingdom of righteousness coming with power uh, with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity of the meek uh, of the of, for the meek of the earth. And Peter was talking about this expression, the justness of uh, Christ's uh, character and, and administration. You remember that Peter, in his uh, sermon at Pentecost, charged the Jews with having denied the Holy One and the just. The great, the greatness of their crime lay that. It lay in this that they denied the just one. Christ's character was, was sinless perfection. And of course that was the, the basis of his reconciling work. He's the Lord of righteousness. A lamb without spot, spot and without blemish. I think there's another point where we're talking about these money changers that represented a very earthly kingdom and you, you wouldn't get a, you wouldn't get a hate there unless you had a hate to give. Uh, if you had money, they would welcome you. But you see, the kingdom of the gospel is a righteous kingdom. That is to say, it's an unbribable kingdom. You don't get the benefits, as tends to be the case with human kingdoms, because you're in the know, or because you have the wherewithal, or because you've got pool or influence, or because you've got a hold over somebody. That's not how you get the gospel benefits, thank God. They're free. The benefits of redemption are totally and utterly free to all who come simply pleading their sin, pleading their unworthiness, and pleading their, need, their needs. That's what Jesus meant when he said, these things are hid, they're concealed, they're veiled from the wise and prudent, but they're revealed unto babes. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I, I think then again we could say this, that the just one, uh, that expression is applied that uh, attribute is applied to Christ that name is given to Christ because his word is absolutely trustworthy he's righteous in his promises and of course we, we know that the hope of Christian believers rests solidly on the promises of the gospel they are yea and amen in Christ Jesus he's absolutely trustworthy he's just in that sense remember how John says that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just there's that word again you can rely on him if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness can we miss this point again the just one Christ's own character which was uh, cast in 
in the shape of goodness and truth and impartiality and righteousness was what attracted men in the days of his flesh. Why did they, why, you know, nature abhors a vacuum and all that, but why was it that into the temple when these uh, crooks had been thrown out came all these poor people and these sick people to Jesus? Because they knew that here was one who was interested, genuinely interested in their case. One who, who, who did everything that he did with equity and justice. Men were attracted to Jesus by his character. There was no graft in his way of dealing with men. He had a real, a genuine interest uh, in the needs of all. He was interested in equity. He went about doing good. And of course, uh, he said that, that the same characteristics uh, would be expected in his followers, and in his followers, these characteristics would be effective under God in drawing others to the gospel. They shall see your good works. It doesn't say that they, they shall hear your uh, devout words or your or your Christian words, but they shall, no doubt that's important, but the stress is there, they shall see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're told that the gospel comes not in word, but in deed and in power. The righteous man is blessed in his deed. And the lesson that is there, by the way, but it's, it's very much not a, an unimportant lesson, is that no amount of speaking Christian things will take the gospel very far if the corresponding righteous life is missing. So, uh, here is the king coming, and very significantly, he is the just one. But also, he has salvation. He is just and having salvation. Well, of course, that's the, uh, that's the, that is the, the, the reason par excellence for Christ's coming. The Son of Man is coming to save that which was lost. And, and thinking about this uh, previously mentioned characteristic that he's just, that he's righteous, the aim of the atonement, surely, surely, the aim of the atonement that Christ made was to bring salvation into harmony with the claims of righteousness. Righteousness and peace, says Psalm 85, have kissed each other. It's in Christ and Christ alone that Paul tells us that God beca has become a just God and a saviour at one and the same time. At one and the same time. How could God forgive sin and be just at one and the same time only through the death of his own son? And it's an interesting way of putting it that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the coming king, has salvation. What that means as you go through the, the gospel is that he's one salvation, that he possesses salvation, that he possesses it not for himself, he possesses it to bestow it on sinful human beings, beginning with the forgiveness of their sins and ending in the life everlasting. And we have, if he's got the salvation, then it's for us, it's for you, it's for me, friends, to come to him for it. Uh, there the, uh, you see that uh, very graphic picture of the famine-stricken uh, nations of, of Joseph's day. Uh, he had been placed over the granaries of Egypt by Pharaoh and they came down and well they went straight to the palace and asked the Pharaoh, look we're in an awful state, can you give us some corn? And every time he said go to Joseph. He's got complete charge, he's got the granaries, go to him. And, it, and that's, a, that's symbolic of Christ. He's got salvation, go to him. Do you want eternal life? Do you want forgiveness? 
Do you want peace with God? Do you, do, you, do you want your sins taken away? Then go to Jesus. He has salvation and he's got it to bestow. And salvation is a gift that the Lord Jesus Christ never refuses to give to those who sincerely and humbly uh, ask him. Now it must be sincerely and must be humbly. I suppose that ministers are so used to using that word sincerely and humbly. It almost becomes a cliche and people almost take it as a cliche, but it's no cliche. Remember in school, I don't know what it was like in your school, but I know in mine that <coughs> there were, if you had toffee or if you had sweets, nobody ever thought that they belonged to you or that you had a particular right to them. If you had a knowledge, it was deep. Not, may I please, do you mind, I, I, I come to you very humbly and ask, would you please give me a sack of your orange? No, it's gaze a soup your orange. Or gaze a bit of Macowan's toffee. In, that, in my day, Macowan's toffee was the great thing. And uh, gaze a bit of that toffee, or gaze a sweetie. Not, uh, do you mind, please? I mean, you would, you would think that uh, a, a child had gone mad if they, if they said that to another child. Excuse me, and bowing, please give me a sweet or something like that. No doubt some are more polite than another, but usually it was gaze a sweetie. <coughs> now, it is no cliche. It is no, it is no uh, sort of anxious thing for a minister to say, we'll only get salvation if we come sincerely and humbly because we've got no right to it. They may have assumed in school that you had no right to the toffee that you bought yourself. But we've got no right to salvation. Therefore, when the Bible insists that we come like the public and sincerely and humbly, it means precisely what it says. We've got no rights. We have to come, uh, surely we have to come like the public and who was justified, who went home justified, Jesus says, when we say, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And then finally, the king, the, the, the king who was prophesied would come lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now you remember that it was part of the Mosaic law that all animals that, that were devoted to the service of the Lord were to be animals which had not up till then been used in the service of man. So it was very important that, uh, for example, if it was an animal, it should be an unbroken. If it was a, an, an animal, a burden-bearing animal, it should be a, 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 an unbroken colt, the, 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 the foal of an ass. And surely the special point there, we don't have to search for it very far, is that the Messiah is riding on such an, an animal, pinpointed as being uniquely in the service of God. My no wonder he called him my servant, as if there had never been any servants before. Here's my servant par excellence. And that was symbolized uh, by the fact that he sat on an animal that was dedicated uh, by, to the Lord. It had never been in human service. It was given up to the service of God. And again, I think we noted this point some time ago, that the ass was an animal, um, you know, used in peaceful domestic purposes. It wasn't a war horse or it wasn't a war camel. There were such animals. Uh, but this is a, this is a, this a, the ass is a symbol of peace. And, and, and Christ is coming with a gospel of peace to men. It was a warlike uh, generation into which he was born, but he wasn't coming to do, to do warlike things. He was coming as a king. All right, men would say, if he's coming as a king, where are his armies? Where, where's the blood? Where are the garments rolled in blood? Where, where's the battle? 
there won't be any. The battle that will be will be the greatest of all with Satan, but it won't be with flesh and blood. He's, he came to bring gospel promises of peace. He shall not cry, nor lift up his Isaiah, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. Now that's not a picture, you know, just of ordinary people shouting to each other in the streets. That's a picture of war. That's a picture of people attacking a town. Now, I think we can say this, that, that, that Jesus rode on the ass, that that wasn't necessarily a mark of humiliation and lowliness in itself. You know, sometimes people say that's well, oh, that's just directly a mark of humiliation on the part of Christ. Because, after all, kings, uh, in time of peace, kings rode on, on, on asses, on donkeys. Of course, they were suitably harnessed and they were suitably adorned for a king. And that's why the people put uh, their robes over the, the animal that Jesus rode. Uh, but in this passage, very much in keeping with the age in which the prophe prophecy was delivered, there seems to be a contrast between, on the one hand, the, the way in which the, the long-expected Messiah would arrive, and on the other, uh, the pomp and the splendor of the, of the princes and kings of, of, of Persia. A great contrast. A great contrast. Now, although our Lord was acclaimed with the hosannas when he entered into Jerusalem, those hosannas were, 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 were sung under a mistaken impression of what his kingdom would, would be like. And I'm sure these same people must have been aghast when they saw him flinging the money changers, the crooks out of the temple, changing the, the order of things. We didn't think it was going to be like this. You can hear them saying to each other. Almost in hours, the hosannas were replaced with the cry, crucify him. The same people, crucify him, away with him, away with him, give us Barabbas, not Jesus. The general reception that our Lord received uh, was one of, really it wasn't, it was, it was rejection. Uh, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He shall grow up before God as a tender plant. Uh, and as a root out of a, a dry ground there is no beauty that, that we should desire him he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with thee and, and the ass symbolized all that when you push it to its logical conclusion to its full biblical conclusion what it means is that salvation could come to the children of men only through the suffering of the Messiah in terms of atonement in terms of redemption not in terms of political conquest when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, then the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper uh, in his hand. And lowliness uh, uh, in character on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ, that distinguished his whole life. And is it not the case that he held that forth as an encouragement to all to come to him for instruction and blessing? those cooks in the temple as I say they were only interested in people that had the wherewithal if you had nothing you weren't welcome you might as well go very differently with Jesus come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me why for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your soul what an encouragement to come to Christ for, the God, for salvation because he is lowly because he is meek and lowly in heart and of course, 
he has left his followers an, an example that we should uh, follow in his steps. The Christian mustn't be self-assertive, the Christian mustn't be proud, the Christian mustn't live a showy life, the Christian must walk humbly with his God or her God and must live on terms of kindness and neighborliness uh, with uh, their fellow men. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. You, you might be glad to see a king in a war horse, but forget it. Rejoice, because thy king cometh unto thee, being just, having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Because the Saviour was of that description, there's every reason for saying Hosanna uh, unto the Lord. Let us pray. The Lord our God, we thank thee that uh, the one who was crucified was the just one, that he went willingly to Calvary's cross, that he laid down his life. No man took it from him, but he, that he laid it, laid it down of himself. And we bless thee, Lord, that he has uh, taken it again, and that he's been exalted a prince and a saviour, but that he remains the Lord Jesus Christ, who is meek and lowly in heart, who is the righteous one, the just one, the one who will never turn any away, who comes sincerely and humbly to him for salvation. We thank thee for his wonderful words, for his precious words. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Forgive our sins in his name. Amen.